and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And today we are going to share some industry secrets, some clever design hacks to help make your room design look more expensive than it is. Yeah, it's time for us to share our little black book of trade secrets with you. So get a piece of paper and a pen and make sure you don't miss a minute of the show because we are ready to save you hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. This week, my main topic of conversation centres around a trade secret I've recently discovered, so we might as well get straight to it. How to get a designer kitchen for a fraction of the price. Oh, do tell, because kitchens are expensive. Well, I mean, I think more people should know about this. It's called, it's a company called the Used Kitchen Exchange, and I'm selling my old kitchen via them. So for those of you who who don't know, and I'm surprised you don't know because I talk of little else, I have recently moved house (laughs) and we inherited a kitchen in this house, which it turned out lots of friends were saying to us was a Habitat Olivia kitchen. It's a freestanding kitchen that you basically bought the unit you needed. They're all the standard sizes and you can just move them around and slot them in where you wanted. They're made from solid beach. They've got drawers. They've got doors. There are also some open ones which come with big wicker baskets. Um, And the only thing obviously you needed to plumb in was the sink unit and it came with one of those as well. And there wasn't enough of this kitchen for for our purposes. And they don't make it anymore, do they? They don't make it anymore. I must admit, just before you continue, it was a brilliant idea that Habitat had at the time to create a a freestanding kitchen with the idea being that you could actually take it with you if you moved. I mean, I had an Olivia kitchen table at one point and that came on quite a few house moves with me before I finally sold it and now I really regret it. Want it back isn't that funny anyway less about me and my hoarding tendencies well it's interesting because you you can see these sort of you know people have set up google alerts and they're quite collectible and i think it is because you can take it with you and add bits and take bits away but the point of this conversation your previous house owners didn't want to take the kitchen with them. <laughs> she didn't want to take it with her. And interestingly, when I first saw the pictures, I said to the estate agent, oh, what is that kitchen? And he went, oh, I think it's made of MDF. It's rubbish. And when I came round, I was like, oh, no, mate, solid. this yeah. is not that solid wood. But we had already decided to redo the kitchen and organised a new kitchen at the point at which I realised I could have bought myself a replacement kitchen from this place. But anyhow, I'm selling it there. It's quite collectible. And whilst looking around this site, you can get you can get lots of sort of, you know, generic shaker style kitchens in various sizes but they do have the odd Duval, the odd Neptune the odd plain English so if you there's designer kitchen tags and the prices I was looking uh this morning because my kitchen is now up there you can get Martin Moore which is a really swishy kitchen design a sort of huge dresser thing which would normally cost about 18,000 pounds you can get it for eight so Mm. the prices are phenomenal if you're prepared to wait keep an eye on the site and potentially reconfigure and what the the used kitchen exchange told me was that some people just try and buy the right kitchen for the size they've got so they're looking Are for they, like a like for like type a thing. like for like yeah and of course though once you take the worktop off you are left with a series of carcasses which tend to be standard sizes which is about 60 by 60 mm. um and other people get much more inventive with it and and use it as a way of buying raw materials for a fraction of the cost and 
and let's not forget saving them from landfill and rubbish tips. And they gave me an example of one woman who had bought what must have been a very large kitchen island from them. She took the top off. She managed to reconfigure all the pieces to redo her own kitchen. And she had a bit left over for a bathroom vanity unit. Genius. Bingo. That is brilliant because we're thinking of changing up our kitchen oh well i feel we've had this conversation before oh my god it's the oldest am i investing in this conversation or are no, we actually don't, doing no, it no <laughs> don't, don't invest in it yet but I, one day i will have my dream kitchen down the south end the garden end of the house but yeah i could i it all it does pain me a bit that i have a perfectly good kitchen it's just in the wrong it's just in the wrong part of yeah. the house and I don't I'm not sure how well it will travel but I could um yeah I could think about putting it on there so not only is it a place to save on a designer kitchen it's also a place to earn a bit of money on your unwanted kitchen which is what you're doing essentially isn't it yeah and they come it's all in they dismantle it but I think you have to dismantle gas appliances and sinks and things but right, they will take it away they take photographs of it and I was a bit worried about my photographs because obviously by the time we decided that selling it was the right thing to do we were already deep in building site yes. But what they've said is, obviously, a lot of people buying kitchens in this way are already attuned to the fact that they're not buying it from a fancy showroom. So, you know, it's different. And it's as much about them verifying that you are actually selling the bits that you say you're selling and checking inside the cupboards and checking the condition of it and so on and so forth. So um, I thought it was a really great idea. And they do have appliances as well. So it can be, I noticed on there, is a kitchen for sale, which comes with a whole load of Miele appliances. Even if you didn't want the kitchen, it can be a cheaper way to get, you know, really fancy high-end appliances. So good idea. Very good, very good. Well, I wanted to create a bit of a designer look. I wanted my kitchen to look more expensive than it was, the one that I've got at the moment. And what we did is we bought Howden's carcasses. Now, Howden's typically, they sort of started out really um, supplying the trade. It's because you used to not be able to shop there unless you could prove you were trade. That's right, they but changed it's not that. like that. Any, yeah, I think they have right. changed that. But it was all, it was very popular with, uh, with the trade because they deliver the carcasses built already. So it means they install quite quickly. Unlike Ikea. Yeah, which comes in a million, billion tiny pieces. So it's, it's an interesting one it's like if you're if you're paying builders or carpenters to build your kitchen the fact that okay you'll be spending a little bit more on a howdens but it's already built but you're saving on all that labor from a carpenter trying to build something from flat pack so tom my husband was always thought the howdens was actually good value because then you weren't having to pay carpenters to build it from flat pack and they're very well built they're a good you know for a sort of want of a better word a high street kitchen they they're a good uh, build Standard. So I had my Howden's carcasses, but what I didn't love at the time was the fact that the door fronts all look a bit generic. Uh, you don't get a lot of choice. Although I think Howden's are bringing out some new colours. I got a little press release, so watch that space with Howden's. But at the time I did my kitchen, it was all a bit grey and beige, I'm going to be frank. So I bought the cheapest kitchen, which just had, you can't buy carcasses only. I just, so I just bought the cheapest door fronts. And then got my carpenter to make the door fronts out of MDF. And I designed a little tongue and groove design, which he routed out quite simply. And then I could paint them in a choice of my colour. And obviously nobody sees the carcasses, do they? All you see is the door fronts. So by having bespoke door fronts, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a cheat 
makes you look like your whole kitchen's bespoke. And you won't see a kitchen like mine anywhere else as well. I mean, it is bespoke to me because I made the door fronts. And, and I think that's quite a nice common tip, isn't it? And we're used to that now, you know, buy, buy the basic carcasses, which you don't see, and, and, you know, pimp it with handles and worktop and and painted doors and things. But there was another tip, which I think we may have mentioned before, but I think it's so brilliant that in this episode, it, it bears mentioning again. And that's your your tip about the A-grade appliances. What was that? They're called A-grade or B-grade appliances. And they are appliances that are brand new, unused, probably possibly even still in their packaging. They might be ex-display or they might have had a tiny bit of damage in transit. Typically for an A-grade appliance, this will be on the back or the sides, so something that you will never see, but they can't sell them as new. So there are companies, if you just Google A-grade appliances, there are all these companies out there who just deal in them, and you even still get your warranty with them as a new appliance. So you can save yourself a ton of money just for a surface cosmetic bit of damage that you don't see anyway. So win-win. Brilliant. And that, you know, so this idea of, you know, buying a, an ex-display kitchen or a used kitchen, you know, that ties in with Jules Haynes, who we interviewed last week, who repurposes waste fabrics that are left over from interior design projects, which might otherwise go in the bin. And she sells them, you know, you can buy a square meter so you can have some designer fabric just enough for a cushion. So there's ways in there and she's now started doing tiles as well. So we're getting to the stage where you can do several rooms in the house. So let's <laughs> let's move on and, and have some more of these. We're, we're here for the designer ideas on a budget. What do they call it? Champagne taste lemonade budget. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I always um, do, because I've definitely got the uh, champagne taste and the beer money budget, is to look at high-end interiors, which isn't hard to do now with Instagram and magazines and there's lots of interior designers who I admire their work on Instagram. And interestingly, what I love as well is whenever you speak to interior designers, they often don't have the budget of their clients to do their own homes. So they, yes. do, they do a lot of these design hacks themselves because they want the look of it looking really expensive, really, looking really high end, but without spending the mass, mass bondoolies. Um, I think one of the really key ways where you can get the bespoke interior designer look for less is with hacking flat pack furniture. So we've slightly touched on it already with kitchens, but I've also done this in my own projects where I've bought affordable flat pack furniture, whether it's from a DIY shed or one of the giants like Ikea. So it's typically laminate chipboard furniture this could be for dressing rooms it could be for dressing tables it could be for kitchen vanity units but then I faked it with the cladding so for example if you've got even like bookcases or wardrobes is a great example if you've got lots of flat pack carcasses that you bolt together just by adding moldings and trims to fill in the gap so it looks like it's made to measure you know like if you have a run of units I've got it here in my office I've got a run of flat pack units and then there was like an inch gap at the end because it was flat pack not made to measure well I just got the carpenter to infill that gap so now it looks made to measure I mean there's whole Instagram accounts and and websites dedicated to the sort of Ikea packs wardrobe pack isn't there so do have a look at those because I'm I never fail to be astonished by the inventiveness and cleverness of people who can do this. Um, And one person who's doing it at the moment is Chelsea, who runs the Instagram account, The House That Black Built. And she's she's an absolute champagne taste. (laughs) And she had found a picture of a fabulous dressing room she wanted. She's she's doing up this 
big old house. Um, and she's got a dress, she's got a room in which she can dress. And she was looking up the cost of having these wardrobes made bespoke. And it was going to cost... Like a walk-in wardrobe closet type like idea. Like a walk-in wardrobe, but a room. It's going to cost an absolute fortune. So she has bought a whole load of, I think they're Ikea tall cupboards which she's slotted together bolted to the wall and she's going to have doors made and they're going to have carpets so that you can't quite see the joins where it's not level and she was talking about infilling the sides exactly as you do so it's it's starting off with those kind of base carcass units and then absolutely pimping it and making it look expensive and another thing which I saw in a, a show home I visited years ago was very sort of boring flat MDF wardrobe cupboards, very tall, but they'd been covered in fabric. So you could buy, you know, affordable fabric. You could try and get something from the Haynes Collection designer fabric, but you can just cover them, we know, a thin layer of foam, which you can glue on and then staple gun fabric over. And there's something about fabric walls or fabric doors that feels incredibly luxurious and designer. And, you know, I think it's not difficult to do if you're a bit handy. I'm not, but there are YouTube videos so you can see how to do it. Yeah, no, that's a really, really, really lovely way of um, making something feel luxury. I think fabrics, wherever you bring in a bit of fabric, um, it just already um, kind of elevates stuff. Another thing to do with um, flat pack furniture wardrobes is to wallpaper them. It doesn't necessarily have to be with a patterned wallpaper, even just a textured wallpaper or some of these wallpapers that mimic veneer, like wood veneers or lovely woven textures. Again, these are the sorts of things that high-end interior designers are doing with their bespoke joinery all the time. And it's just nicking that idea. But rather than getting a carpenter to build you something from scratch, you're just adding that finish to a bog standard flat pack wardrobe and to the eye no one can tell the difference absolutely and also while while you're on the flat pack furniture again don't forget to you know paint the inside in a fabulous color you might only see it when only you open it but that it brings a sense of luxe and fabulous to it so wallpaper the inside of a cupboard or paint the inside of a cupboard but you know try and cover up that sort of plain mdf flat pack furniture look in the middle and that will make the whole thing it will elevate the whole thing yeah in fact actually on the subject of textures we talked a little bit about lighting and amazing sort of textured woven fabrics and things one of the things i think you can elevate any interior is by introducing some of these luxe materials so i think if you can bring an element of real marble it might not be the whole kitchen worktop it might not be the whole dining room table (laughs) but elements of these these textures that we think of being luxurious you know brass boot clay fabrics a bit of foxed mirror some really lovely timber I just think sometimes we do a lot on the look but actually the touch and the feel of materials can really elevate an interior the problem is they're expensive so my question to you Kate is can you fake it can you do a faux marble finish can you do a gold painted spray painted tap can you fake the luxe materials i it's a difficult one this because you know obviously the luxe materials are very expensive and often you can't afford it my temptation and and i'm i'm not saying this is the right way but my instinct is that Either have a little bit of the real thing or don't do it. You know, I think it's great to look at a worktop that looks like it's marble, but then if you're in it and you touch it and it's plastic, for me, that's a disappointment. I would rather have 
a wooden worktop, which is, I think, the, the cheapest kitchen worktop you can have. A laminate worktop is your cheapest. Are your cheapest. But my mother had a wooden worktop years ago and her dream, uh, which she eventually did, was she had a piece of marble sort of inset into the wooden worktop, which was for rolling pastry because it's nice. good to roll pastry on cold or something. But the point was she just had a small bit that was, you know, like a foot square. Um, and, and so I would be tempted to as you've just said, have a tiny bit of the real thing rather than a lot of, of, the, of fake. the fake. And that, I mean, you know, Nigella Lawson, like to, to bring it round to food, she's always said she'd rather have, you know, a small bit of real butter than a whole load of margarine. So, I mean, you've got to decide where you land and it's absolutely personal to you. There's no right or wrong. I would go a little bit of the real or move away from it altogether. But that's... That's my version. Yeah, I'd love to know what listeners think of that because it, it is one of the biggest... If you like a luxy look, going for the real thing is expensive. Brings me on to thinking about hardware. So door handles and light switches. Now, this is another thing where a lot of interior designers say don't scrimp on the hardware and the light switches. This is where you should spend a bit of money because, you know, you can feel, you know, this is this is the touch switch. You can feel them. However, I remember when we did a house tour at Sky McAlpine's house, she had the very, very, very well-to-do interior designer, Ben Pentreath, design her house. And he said, no, love, keep your plastic light switches because I've got some designer wallpaper I want you to have instead. And so his advice was like, don't blow your budget on light switches. So, Kate, where do you land on plastic light switches? Well, I mean, I like something, as you say, the touch point, I think, is very important. But I think you're getting too into the detail now. I want to come back to the bigger picture. And, you know, where we started was sort of getting that designer look for less. And there's another really great way you can do it with paint. And I don't know if you remember last year, Little Green launched something called Remix, which is where they have now found a way to remake all their leftover paint paint and paint that is sent back because the tin's damaged or whatever and they remix their original designer colours and sell it for a fraction of the price so that's a really good start yeah designer paint but I think it's it's the colour it's the colour that can really elevate um, a space and this is what the designer paint brands do so well so for example I was thinking if I had to do one really simple thing to elevate a space without spending much money or doing much it'd be paint the woodwork I think white woodwork architrave doors skirting boards windows so bog standard it's just so basic isn't it it's so like economy (laughs) so I think even if you just wanted to do one decorating project this weekend paint out all your white woodwork either in a nice striking color obviously is going to be my preference um make it stand out or even color match it into your wall color just looks a lot more thought out designed considered would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I totally, I've always said that, you know, that, well, I, I mean, I think you'll recall I banned white paint quite some time ago for that very reason. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think dark <laughs> paint can look more expensive and more luxurious than pale. And that can be on the walls, but it also, it, it looks more expensive mm. and designer if you do do it on just skirting boards and small areas, because it looks like 
you made a decision. It looks like you took the time to think about it. And either you were designer, rich and fabulous enough to pay someone else to do it, or you took the time yourself to do it to elevate your look. So I'm totally here for that. But it's funny, isn't it? Because as you say, white is kind of bog standard for interiors. But if you go everywhere dressed head to foot in white clothes, then it makes you look incredibly unbog standard because you look like you never eat pasta sauce and you only travel in taxis. But when you have white in your interiors, then it looks quite bog standard. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really interesting, this concept as well of what colours look expensive. So, you know, for me, with my very bright chromatic colour palette that I love, I'm aware that a lot of people think that is in danger of looking cheap those sorts of real bright colours. And so I think even just the nuance of the paint tone that you choose is quite interesting. So for example, I think those sort of like traditional dark colours, your racing greens, your navies, your burgundies, they just feel quite expensive, don't they? Yeah. They just feel quite high end. The pastel colours, maybe not so much. That's not saying that I think you should have a navy kitchen just because that's what's going to look expensive. It's all about what you want. But I think in terms of elevating your home with just a pot of paint, picking a luxurious, rich colour. I think it can really do that. I wonder if this, I'm going to hypothesise here and you can cut me off if it's boring, but back in the Middle Ages, you know, it took a lot more dye to make darker colours, to make stronger colours. Because you were around then, weren't you? I was around then. But (laughs) also they used to have, I think in Elizabethan times and even before, something called the sumptuary laws, which were rules where only rich people could wear black or only rich people could wear purple. And, you know, poor people had to wear sort of undyed wool clothes. And there there were taxes you had to pay. Sackcloth. There were taxes you had to pay for wearing the more elevated colours. And I just wonder if that's something that's kind of reached on down through history that those dark colors you know we feel are more expensive I don't know I don't know but you're right dark colors feel it I think there's a lot of high-end interior designers peddling a lot of beige and sack brown that would probably disagree with you yeah let's move on before we get into trouble But talking of the sort of the architectural features, so paint sticking with walls, you know, wallpaper can be expensive. It can be time consuming. You need a lot of it, particularly if you've got to pattern match. Um, But I've noticed something that's coming back around now is wallpaper borders. So that's just a a sort of patterned border that, for the sake of argument, I'm going to say it's about 10 centimetres wide. I'm sure it varies. But Susie Atkinson's doing them and you can put it round a door and paint the rest of the room. Salverson and Graham are doing them. And it just adds a bit of, you can put it around the top of the room if you don't have coving or panelling or cornicing. And that's got to be a much cheaper way to get, again, that sort of, thought out designer look for not having to buy whole rolls and do whole rooms you just do a little bit of it well it's all in the execution so for anyone who was old enough as I'm sure Kate clearly are, I'm not to no we are to remember borders first time round they sort of like hovered around the kind of picture rail height didn't they around a room it's a very Laura Ashley thing to do and we have not seen them since the 1980s no. have we they have been banished from uh, interior design altogether. And you're right, Kate, they are making a comeback and I am seeing them used in different ways. So, for example, around the top of skirting boards, you already mentioned around door architraves, uh, around windows to create a frame. 
it's quite interesting to see how interior designers are making are bringing them back. I think it's because we're loving all everything 1980s interiors at the moment. So it's no surprise to me that they're coming back with all the frills and swaggage that we're seeing entering back on the scene. I was at a dinner recently with the acclaimed interior designer Henry Prudeau, and he shared a brilliant little uh, interior design hack, which is sort of along this line, but rather than a paper border, using a ribbon. So, you know, not like satin ribbon, that lovely, is it called? Grogram. Grogram ground ribbon that's the one and he says he just simply glues it to the wall and again he does this above the skirting board and around the doors or he's made a frame above a headboard in go grain ribbon um say if the wall's painted navy he'll pick a nice like soft gray or a right ribbon so it really pops out and he says for the price of a roll of ribbon it looks really elevated that's very clever now there are yes i like that but it's interesting because i was going to mention this idea of kind of trim or to if you're going to go with Henry Prideau I'm going to go with Persimontry um, <laughs> which is basically bits of trim and fringing and pom-poms and beading and that's another way to really elevate your interiors so there's various I think in London there's Vivi Rouleau there's Samuel and Sons is online I think you bought some pom-poms from them I mean none of these suppliers are in the budget category I hasten to add Kate, they're not in the budget no. category but If you've bought a high street plain linen cushion for not very much money, I should say cushion cover, you could probably get away with, you know, a metre, two metres of some pom-poms or some fringe. You can stitch that to the edge of your high street affordable cushion and suddenly it's bespoke, it looks elevated, you've turned it into something new for a fraction of what it would cost to buy a designer cushion where those fabrics can cost hundreds of pounds a metre. So that idea is to put your ribbon on your walls, but put it on your cushions. Or oh, the curtains. I love I think I love that was a, my idea with d- your bedroom curtains. <laughs> a pom-pom um, trim on a leading edge of a curtain looks great. Yeah. And I've bought, actually, and I, I haven't done it yet. I've, I say I'm not very handy. I'm not too bad with a sewing machine as long as it's straight lines. Um, and I've made for this house a whole load of cafe curtains, which are curtains that go halfway across the window out of some leftover linen. And... I'm looking at window dressings for my sitting room and, and you know, curtains are so expensive. So I have bought, and I now, you know, remains to be seen if I can pull it off or not, a couple of just quite plain linen curtains, which I will have as dress curtains. And I'm exactly thinking of looking at some fringing or some trim or some pom-poms to sew down the leading edge to elevate what is just a very standard linen curtain and sort of bring that more expensive designer look into my sitting room well I think the key here it's all about make um, creating curtains that feel generous and one of my issues with a lot of ready-made curtains that you can buy um, while they're very very affordable so they're very appealing is they don't always have the width to feel generous so if I can encourage people to maybe buy two sets of ready-made curtains and sew them together so you have lots and lots and lots of fabric that's a really great sign I mean I remember uh, Daniel Hopwood who um, I used to do some telly work with back in the day you know very high-end interior designer based in London he said sometimes to say if he had he had a really big window to dress as a project and he actually ended up just using dressmakers calico which is cheap as trips but loads of it and interlined it so it felt and looked really really generous and then he actually put a velvet trim on the leading edge so he had that luxurious 
texture and colour as a leading edge, but the 95% of the curtain was made in a fabric that cost about £2 a metre. That's such a good idea. So again, tricking the eye so it looks like a really, really, really expensive general you know puddle it on the floor get it going all the way to the floor so you're not scrimping anywhere but it's about volume so go cheap on the fabric big on the volume and then have either a bit of trim or a bit of velvet to uh, elevate the look I saw something which I thought was really clever the other day actually it was just a photograph so I'm kind of presupposing this is what it was and if it wasn't exactly this then I think this is quite a good idea but it was a room where effectively it looked like they had some just bog standard roller blinds in this very beautiful, sumptuous living room. So, And normally, if you were having blinds in a sitting room you'd, or a bedroom, you'd want Roman blinds because they're a bit more luxey. They're much, much more expensive. They're much harder to make. You know, it's all, it's all a much more complicated thing. Roller blinds, you can buy them plain. They tend to be quite cheap. And they're quite often in just kind of standard black or white. But this room had some really dark green roller blinds, which in the photograph I'd saw had been sort of, left about covering the top third of the window and then over the top of that they had fixed a, a sort of pelmet which looked like a fringed shawl hanging down and what that did was cover the sort of roller blind mechanic boring bit and because the roller blind was dark green and the fringed shawl hanging down was a dark green sort of pattern with black fringing the whole thing, you suddenly thought, gosh, what? what is this expensive sorcery? I bet I can't afford it. And then you thought, hang on a minute, that's a shawl and a roller blind. That's quite clever. <laughs> and of course, you could pull the blind down at night, leave the shawl hanging. You've covered your windows. And in the daytime, you've got that kind of double effect and leaving the light up. So had I not just spent three weekends making cafe curtains for my kid, for my sitting room, I might have gone down that route. But it's too late now because I've done cafe curtains. So I'm going to need full length curtains at the sides. But I thought That's it was a good so idea. So you're, ta- you're talking about a glorified palmet. It's what you're talking about there, isn't it? It's, it's a glorified a really, palmet. really zhuzhy palmet hiding. Yeah, I mean, totally. I put ro- uh, roller blinds up in our bedroom when we moved in, just blackout blinds. And they are cheap as they are the cheapest yeah. form of, and as, as I said you can get voil ones you can get blackout ones actually Kate they come in a whole kaleidoscope of colour so you can pick a colour that sits in with your scheme it's just that when they're on their own they look really mean <laughs> yeah they, they exactly that they look mean so a bit of money with a bit of designer fabric for a pelmet or an antique shawl if that's what you've got I think that's a genius idea well and also actually I was then I was on site for some projects I'd done recently and the the curtain designer supplier came back round to check something out and he said I was telling him about this idea and he said that he'd just been to an antique market and bought a whole load of antique shawls like your granny shawls and he was going to do exactly that so you could buy fabric that you could drape or you can just go and see what you can buy on the vintage front absolutely love that idea other ideas for curtains because it is a really expensive area is getting curtain clips and clipping a piece of fabric up to the window that's something i've done a lot in the past and you can do that for cafe curtains too yeah sewing instead of sewing if it works but i think it's really nice if you get like a really fabulous bit of fabric so you know, yeah, I mean, I've seen people do it sort of like linen sheets, if that's your kind of like boho minimalist vibe. But, you know, what about like a really fabulous bed throw or a Suzani throw, something heavily embroidered? You know, again, you might pick it up from a vintage shop 
or you could just get a really lovely bed throw that's not too heavy online and clip it up as a curtain and you haven't had to buy any sewing you haven't had to do any interlining it's quick and instant but you kind of I think with because of the the curtain clip idea it works if it is a blanket or a bed throw or something because it's like a piece in its own right I think that looks really good and I think with the linen curtains if they're not thick enough because I looked I did wonder when I was looking for my linen curtains in my sitting room if actually it would be cheaper to use a bed sheet because that would be really quite big. I was thinking about your generosity. Now, of course, you can't always get flat sheets. People make a big virtue of selling fitted sheets now, so obviously that won't work. But in my son's room, where I needed a reversible curtain, I bought a linen curtain from Laradute for one side, and then on the back of it, I've sewn a tablecloth, because they didn't have any patterned linen curtains that I wanted, and I couldn't find a thing, and I just thought, actually, there were no flat sheets, let's get a massive linen tablecloth. So I've sewn that on. Again, it's all straight lines. Um, But you can get that stuff, I don't know what it's called, but it's an iron-on sticky stuff. So you can do that as well. So just be inventive looking at your materials. And of course, if you buy a tablecloth, the chances are, or it will already be hemmed. So if you don't need to change the size you're done all you've got to do is find a way of fixing it and or add ruffle tape which you can buy anywhere so that on in a straight line so yeah wonder web love a bit of wonder web on the note tablecloths i'll just throw this in really quickly because it did go kind of viral on my instagram over christmas is i like a pattern tablecloth of course i do they can be eye-wateringly expensive actually when you've got the taste i've got and i had a i've got a really big table i've got a three meter table so buying fabric by the meter for a tablecloth i got it off homescape which is just one of these sort of like really big online shops that sells everything and plus the kitchen sink seven pounds a meter for my red and white candy striped tablecloth so i got a three meter tablecloth for 27 pounds i think i bought three and a half meters uh so don't disregard the fact that you can buy I mean, IKEA is another great one. They do a great stripe for a few pounds. And I think I like it's like your calico. Stripes you can get away with, you know, mm, cheap. Cheap, yeah. Mattress ticking stripes. I think florals is harder, but stripes and planes you can get away with. Now, before we move out of our soft furnishings chat, can I just have a little rant about cushions? A rant? It's been a while since you've had a rant. Must be five oh, minutes. No, just, well, you know, I'm really passionate about my cushions. <laughs> And and if we're talking about elevating a space to look more expensive than it is, obviously one of the best places to buy cushions is on the high street. Even the supermarkets sell brilliant cushions, Mm. H&M, Zara, those kinds of people. You know, you can get a cushion for a tenner, win-win. Oh, but they come with very disappointing pad fillers. Yeah. Which can look very flat and pancake-like within weeks. So my, and I see, oh, they just look really sad and limp on the sofa <laughs> or they go hard they go and flat. really hard and then the fabric's not taut it's all wrinkled and saggy and flaccid causes me so much pain so dear listeners please go out and buy yourself a nice plump fat cushion pad filler I'm a particular lover of a feather pad but I know that there are also some sustainability issues around there so make sure you're getting sustainable feather cushion pads please ethical down is what we're all about and get a cushion pad maybe a little bit bigger than the cushion so that when you stuff it in there your cushion looks really fat and lovely and that will give you a really elevated interior design look on your sofa and 
One more thing before we move on, and I'm sure many of you will know, but those that don't, obviously we've we've all loved the Swedish superstore on the North Circular out of town, IKEA for sofas and affordable furniture. Um, there is also that company called BEMS, B-E-M-Z, that make alternative covers for IKEA sofas. So we're all familiar with companies that sell different cupboard doors for IKEA kitchens and so on and so forth. These make covers for the sofas and the range of fabrics. I was uh, working on a project where my client had called in loads of samples. They have beautiful velvets. They've got boucle, they've got corduroy, they've got linen, huge amount of choice. And, you know, you just sort of plug in your IKEA sofa. They give you the range of fabrics and it comes back with a loose cover made in your choice. And that, again, you might recognise the shape of an IKEA sofa, but you're elevating that fabric and then you can throw your fabulous plumped fat designer cushions all over it. Jobs are good. Lovely, lovely. Right, there's one other area of design I think we should take a little visit to. Lighting. Now, I tell you what, the most high-end, beautiful, luxie interior design projects, they spend a lot on their lighting. And so they should. It can be really, really effective. But having a complete rewire, getting the electricians in, then you've got to get the plasterers in after them, then you've got to get the decorators in, expensive. So let's have a little touch on how you can create a high-end look with occasional lighting. Lamps, floor lamps, wall lamps, that kind of thing. Now, one thing I really like to use is wall lights. Now, they've always been a bit of a problem because, you know, you've got to get them the, the wires chased in and, you know, as I said, electricians, plasterers, decorators. But there is more and more of these battery operated wall lights coming on the market all the time. I know Pookie, who are one of my favourite lighting companies, they do them. IKEA have always done them. So you hang them on the wall and they're battery powered. But if you want some little nice reading lights next to the bed or something in the kitchen, for example, that's not going to be on all day, every day, I think it's a really good idea. There's also, I mean, you know, wall lights used to be really difficult to find nice ones. I've chosen plug-in wall lights by my bed. Um, and now you can get the plug-in ones but, and people are much more aware of the cable. So you can have a fabric coloured cable. And yes, that's hanging down the wall. But, you know, if you've got, for the sake of argument, a pink room, and you have a pink wall light with a deep pink cable running down it. That looks like a design decision. It doesn't look like you couldn't afford to chase out the wall and hide your your, your white plastic cable. So, you know, and I think an, an electrician will easily change over a cable if you've picked a light that doesn't have a fabulous fabric cable already. And that fabric cable, last time I looked, is about £5 a metre. So it's not hugely expensive and it makes a massive difference. Yeah, like you say, especially if you colour code it in with the rest of your design scheme. So it looks like you thought about it. Another quick switch which can elevate your existing scheme is just switching your lampshades. You know, most high street table lamps come with just that generic white drum shade or maybe you get a white coolie shade. But they're always white, aren't they? I suppose really to appeal to a bigger market as possible. But swap them for a coloured shade game changer. I'm going to say something handy here. There's another real fashion I've noticed. It may just be an Instagram fashion, but it's for painting lampshades. It's that kind of Charleston thing, isn't it? So if you've got a plain white or cream lampshade, you know, you just get your leftover tester pot and a brush and you can paint a wiggly line around the bottom or do some dots. It's all about the wiggly line. And then, you know, it's bespoke and you've elevated it. And before you know it, you've got a bit of your pom-pom trim left over from your curtains. You could stick that down the bottom. Oh, there we go. She's off. (laughs) 
And then finally, just on style, I mean, we're, we're always banging on about table lamps and floor lights, as many as you can get into a room. I think it, they add atmosphere. But one little trip for me in terms of elevating the look of a room is a pair of lamps. Always like a pair of lamps. Interesting. I think just, Big yeah, ones. Well, big ones, small ones, but just have a pair either side of the sofa, either side of the bed, yeah. either side of the console table. It's a little interior design twist, I think, that just helps frame a space, elevate a space and make your room look a little bit interior design, darling. And another styling trick I would use is is go large. I think it's it's that I think magicians call it. I'm reading a book about a magician and it's called the art of misdirection. And it's basically, you know, you're distracting the eye from one thing and sending it in another direction. And so, you know, if you've got an old sofa or a saggy sofa or you can't afford to replace the sofa, whatever. If you have a pair of big statement lamps at the end, that's what draws the eye. (laughs) Or a huge piece of artwork above it. A huge piece of artwork. (laughs) A big plant is always going to look more luxurious and more expensive than a row of tiny little succulent cacti. So, you know, go big and send the eye to the big thing and distract from the thing that you don't want people to look at. Yeah, as I always say, Kate, go big or go home. You know, that's my motto to live by. What if you're at home? Oh. Go big at home. Go big at home. That's what, that's your motto. Go big and stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> so do get in touch to share any of your secret tips of how to get the designer look for less. Sharing is caring or something like that. <laughs> and do join us next week where we hand the mic over to you for our month style surgery but in the meantime do come and chat on the great indoors podcast facebook group or follow us along on instagram where i'm sophie robinson interiors and she's mad about the house but for now thanks to producer sarah cudden of feast collective and thanks so much to you for listening and we'll see you in the great indoors